Imagine the scene. Actually, let's go back a few days. The word is spreading fast, maybe because Mary couldn't keep her mouth shut because her baby boy was coming home. Joseph's boy was coming home. And not only that, this boy had made a name for himself in the town of Nazareth. And I can imagine if Nazareth had a newspaper, then the headline would read, Oh, what good can come from Nazareth? Ah, the Bible geeks in here know what I'm talking about. He'd visit his childhood synagogue and he'd read in the temple with rabbis and friends and men who have known him since he was this little. Obviously, there would be food or some sort of gathering after because Jesus is coming home. It's all set. Local hometown hero comes home to put Nazareth on the map. He read the passage from Isaiah, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, proclaiming that it has begun that day, today, as Julie mentioned, last week. So last week we heard the proclamation. This week, the feedback. For Jews, this year was known as the year of Jubilee. And in order to understand what the year of our Lord's favor means, we must understand the scriptures, the Torah. The year of the Lord's favor was the year of Jubilee, and it was the idea that, so, that there was a social reboot, and it should happen every 50 years. Debts would be canceled. Can you imagine getting that letter from Sally Mae? Slaves would be set free, children would be reunited with their families, and liberty throughout the land and all its inhabitants, according to Leviticus chapter 25. At first glance, it's easy to see that the most vulnerable in Israel benefit from Jubilee. But what the year of Jubilee also included was a time for land to go back to original owners. It was a time of recalibrating and setting things right with one another effectively making sure that no certain small percentage of people in society owned and controlled all the wealth in Israel. And while it's not clear if Jubilee was ever put into practice in ancient Israel, it's still great news for the vulnerable. Not so much for those in power. So we're back at Temple. Jesus sits down, and those beaming smiles go from wide grins to side eye to pursed lips. Even Jesus knows he's caused some tension because he assumes they're all thinking the same thing. The biblical version of bless your heart. <laughs> Doctor, heal yourself. Now, we've all been young. We've all been 30 and eager to share good news eager to please those who have brought us up. And because he's Jesus, you can't help but think that he might have known that what he was going to say was going to cause a few heads to turn. Which is not a surprise if you're keeping track of Luke's story or Jesus' life. Remember in the temple when Jesus was a baby and old Simeon takes him from Mary's hands and tells her how her baby would bring out the inner thoughts of many? And inner thoughts is what we see in this passage. He reminds them of the work of Elijah and Elisha, two revered prophets, and how while there was plenty of work to be done in their hometowns, God asks them to go to the foreigners and cultivate community with them. And at first, yeah, 
We understand it sounds like Jesus is included, excluding his own people, and we can understand how his hometown people would be angry about that. They practically raised this kid. They've accepted him despite his <clears throat> background, his oddities, his mama and his daddies. But if we go back and reread that sermon, Jesus' first sermon, with jubilee ears, knowing what jubilee means for the world, we hear Jesus asking us, asking his hometown, his home synagogue, to reimagine a world where love is the driving force behind their actions. He's asking us to think jubilee thoughts. What would it be like to do things with freedom? What would we do with liberation? What would we create knowing that fear could not stop us? If we listen with jubilee ears, he invited those who heard him to dream big. This past week, the missions committee met and we invited anyone and anyone who wanted to show up. So a group of 14 of us gathered around Whole Foods Pizza and guacamole, and we asked one another to think, what could we do without fear of failure? So together on bright colored sticky notes and fun Sharpies and pens, we wrote out any and all dreams from the tiniest of things to the biggest, from growing a garden to making a building eco-friendly, nothing could stop us. We talked about what drew us here, what invited us into this place. Some of us said it was a place of refuge, a place of welcoming, a place of authenticity. And I think of people who dared to imagine and create a world without fear, where fear was not the driving horse behind them, peoples whose agenda was and is jubilee. And I kept thinking about that as we continued this process of sticking notes and writing notes on big pieces of paper, literally looking at the writings on the wall. Today is a very special Sunday for quite a few reasons. One being that I really hope to get my first deviled egg of 2019 at the potluck, with which again, you are all invited to. And the second that today kicks off the first Sunday in Black History Month and of Martha Stearns Marshall Preaching Month. So as a Baptist, you can imagine this is a very exciting thing to share with y'all why this is so important. You see, Martha Stearns Marshall Preaching Month is a month where Baptist churches are invited to bring women to speak in the pulpit. For some churches, this is a way to ease into the idea that both men and women are called to share a word. And for us, for a church like us, I'd like to think of it as a way for us to remember fearless women and men who dared to think of Jubilee, of what our world could be like if we had no fear. I think of women like Nanny Helen Burroughs, who dreamed of a world where black girls could thrive and receive an education and learn a trade. Nanny Helen Burroughs, I might add, was a member of our sister church, 19th Street Baptist, just up the road. Martha Stearns Marshall, fun fact, preached without fear and preached despite gender norms of the 18th century. 
She preached in jails. She preached on street roads. She preached so much that she even converted the constable who arrested her while she was in jail. I love that story. And then I think of Jesus. Where to begin with him being fearless? In today's story, with Jesus slipping away from an angry mob of people who once thought of him to be so great, who once saw him as their golden boy, the passage says that he passed through them and went on his way. It's a Greek fancy word that I can't pronounce, but it's the same one that Luke says and uses to say, to move the story forward to Jerusalem, to the cross, to beyond. Jesus showed us what it was like to live love in action. He that day and today is showing us what it means to be fearless, to dream of a world, of a community, of a church, to know what it means like to set captives free, to heal the sick, to think critically about power and who holds it and what to do with it. Essentially, living a beloved community where all are invited to the table. You, me, insiders, outsiders, mama and them, the table that reminds us of unfailing hope. Reminding us that love conquers all fears. And when death and fear no longer has its grip on either of us, on any of us, the year of the Lord's favor, of jubilee, is possible. So siblings in Christ, listen with ears of jubilee. Act with hands of jubilee. What is it that is drawing you to Jubilee this day?